All right, open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 16. Uh, If you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we um, are working through selected psalms. We're not working through the entire book of Psalms. Um, This is something that we do during the summer times. Last year, we worked through some of the Proverbs. This year, we're working through selected psalms. Um, But if if you've spent much time in the Bible, you know that the book of Psalms is actually a songbook, right? You know that the ancient Israelites... Um, that this was their guide for life, and they, they sang these psalms. And so for us, we read the psalms, but they sang them. And there's something powerful about singing, right? There's something powerful about music. It, it has a way to penetrate our heart and our soul and to get deep inside of us like nothing else does. Um, and that is why for us, as the Parks Church, that's why music and singing is, is such an important part of who we are. When we gather, we're intentional Uh, First of all, with what we sing, um, but we are intentional that we sing, that we are singing the truths of God and we're reminding our our, our self and our soul who God is and what he has done. And so that's what the book of Psalms is. It's it's the songbook of the ancient Israelites. And as they would sing these these truths of God, it would get deep in their heart. It would help, uh, help them own the instructions that are found in the book of Psalms. And so by singing the, the, the Psalms, um, they were instructing their heart and they were instructing one another how to live life with God. And so for us, as we work through this book, we're doing the same thing. We're looking for instruction, for guidance and how to live life with God. And one of the most beautiful things about the book of Psalms is that there's great diversity in this book. Some of the Psalms are written from the highest points of life, from the mountaintop experiences. And some are written from the lowest points of life, the valley and then everything in between. And so we see in the book of Psalms, we see the highs, we see the lows, we see Psalms of lament, we see Psalms of wisdom, of confidence. And so it gives us language, it gives us guidance how to walk through any and all circumstances in life with God. I love the book of Psalms. And so this morning, I want to walk through one of my favorite Psalms with you, Psalm chapter 16. And the reason I chose this Psalm is because it's not written on the mountaintop, It's not written in the valley. It's written in just the everyday, the grind of everyday life, how to be satisfied in the Lord. And I think that is so important for us, how to be satisfied in the Lord. And that word satisfaction is is a word that I kind of have a love-hate relationship with. It kind of has a dual meaning. I love the word satisfy, satisfaction when I see it in scripture. I'm just, I'm so drawn to it. I want to know everything that it has to say. Tell me how to be satisfied. Tell me what it looks like to be satisfied. Tell me where I can find satisfaction because we are all on that journey in life. But when I find that word or I hear that word in the world, I, I don't have the same reaction. I, I don't, I don't really care for that, that word because it has a, a warped, perverted, skewed, twisted definition. In life, in the world, it means, you know, elevate your feelings. It's, it's all about you. It's, it's selfish. It's inward focus. Do whatever makes you happy. Like that is where you will find satisfaction. And it's a lie. And so this morning, as we look at satisfaction in the Lord, I begin by asking you, are you satisfied in life? And maybe you would just quickly answer that without even really evaluating your life and and not giving a truthful answer. But are you satisfied in life? Like really, like is there peace in your life? Is there contentment in your life? Is there fulfillment in your life? Or maybe are you just wandering through life and maybe you feel kind of lost right now in life? Maybe you're so uh, just busy or preoccupied in life that you don't even know if you are satisfied or not. 
Psalm 16 is going to be so good for us. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, just a general of the faith who recently passed away, he says one of the most loneliest moments in life is when you accomplish what you've always wanted and it lets you down. Like that is our world, right? Um, we all have these, these things that we want, that we hold up. Like if I can just get this purchase or, or this relationship or this job, then I'll be happy. And so what happens? We finally get those things and at some point they let us down. And that is a lonely, lonely place. That's a lonely moment in life, but it's something that we all walk through. And that's why this is such an important message, the message of satisfaction, um, because we see in Psalm 16 that it is found in one place, one person. So Psalm 16, the first point as we look at satisfaction, satisfaction begins, number one, with dependence on the Lord. Look at verse one and two. This is David writing. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So if you want to be satisfied in life, you must not depend on yourself. You must not depend on others, but we depend on the Lord. And so notice in these verse, verses, notice that the dependence is all over this. Psalm 16 is a psalm of confidence. And we see David's confidence towards his God. And he's full of peace and he's resting in the Lord. And so we see David here, he's taking stock of his life. He says, uh, you are my refuge. You are my Lord. He says, I have no good apart from you. When David says, I have no good apart from you, he's not saying that I don't enjoy anything in this life that's not just you alone, God, because we see in the very next verse, he says, I delight in the people of God. No, rather what David is saying is he's saying, look, in the grind of daily life, I refuse to look at anything that God has created to do for me what only God can do. I refuse to look at anything that, that is created that only the creator can do because the Lord is my refuge. He does not change. And so life is constantly up and down and we find ourselves um, in unprecedented time right now of a global pandemic. And so I ask you this morning, what is your refuge? What is that thing that you turn to? David says, my refuge is the Lord. He's my hiding place, my shelter, that place I seek protection um, so what is that thing in your life where you say, as long as I have this, I'm happy, I'm secure? Um, because our refuge is our identity. So what is that thing in your life? So maybe you say, look, as long as I have this relationship, I'm happy, I'm good. As long as I'm married, I'm good. As long as I have kids, I'm good. As long as I have grandkids, I'm good. As long as I have my career, I'm good. But David is saying, look, I refuse to put my hope, I refuse to put my refuge in anything that can change my refuge will be the Lord and the Lord alone. And so look, if we, if we put our, if we look to anything other than God to make us happy and secure, that is the biblical definition of idolatry. In other words, that thing or those things are our God. And the scary thing about those gods, these false gods, these false refuges, is that oftentimes they're really good things. They look really good. Like, like marriage, that's a good thing. Kids, that's a good thing. Our career, those are good things. But when you put them in the place of God, you've put a weight upon them that they were not meant to handle, that they cannot sustain. And so we've said this many times here at the Parks Church over the years. We've said kids are great. They're great. I have three kids. We love kids. Kids are great, but they make horrible gods. And so our marriage, when we put our marriage in this place where only is meant for God, we put a weight upon it that it's not meant to handle, that it cannot, it cannot withstand. And so oftentimes 
we, we, we take these things in our life, these good things, and we elevate them to God things, and we put a weight on them that really impacts them and, and, and a lot of times destroys them and ends up ruining them. Only God can give everlasting comfort and satisfaction because he does not change. Now notice David's confidence is completely rooted in the Lord. And so how's your confidence? Are you self-confident? Are you full of confidence in yourself? Or maybe you're the extreme opposite of that. Maybe you don't have self-confidence, but maybe you're full of insecurity. Well, here's the thing. Both of those extremes, self-confidence and insecurity, they lead to the same place. They lead to emptiness. They lead to a void of true satisfaction. And so notice that David's dependence on the Lord right off the bat, he, he, says, he says, preserve me, O God. So we see in these verses, he understands his protection is from the Lord, where he says, you are my refuge, my hiding place. I seek shelter in you. But also he, he realizes his literal preservation comes from the Lord. So this morning, is your heart beating? Did, did you wake up this morning? Is there air in your lungs? How is that possible? It is because the Lord is sustaining you. The Lord is literally allowing you to exist right now. The Lord is preserving you. And David finds his satisfaction in the Lord by dependence on the Lord. Augustine, he says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless. So for restless, we can say our heart is empty. Our heart is dissatisfied. Our heart is unfulfilled until it finds its rest in thee. Only the Lord can truly satisfy and it begins with dependence upon him. The second point for satisfaction that we see in Psalm chapter 16 is this, delight in the saints. Delight in the saints. Look at verse 3 and 4. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So notice here, David's vertical relationship with the Lord directly impacts his horizontal relationships with others. David expresses his satisfaction, his delight in some human uh, relationships, and then he contrasts that with other human relationships, he says, that bring a deep sorrow. So in verse 3, he talks about the, the relationships that he delights in, and he says he delights in, in the saints, the, um, the excellent ones. Who are the saints? Who are the excellent ones? Those are the people of God, right? Those are the redeemed. And so he, re, he delights in those relationships, but then he contrasts that in verse 4 with those, he says that there's multiplied sorrows of those who are running after false gods. They're running after evil, and he wants nothing to do with that. And so what we learn here is that there are relationships um, that truly satisfy, and there are relationships that are counterfeit. And look, David's not saying that, that he, we shouldn't have any friends that, that, that are not believers. Look, we've said from the beginning here that we are to be missionaries in this land, right? We, that wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you uh, eat dinner, wherever you shop for groceries, like God has sovereignly placed you there. He has ordained your steps. And so therefore, we are to live on mission. We are to have much relationships with these people around us. And we're, we're to be friends. We're to grow close. Like that's a good thing. But as David says, we are not to take their idols. In other words, have these relationships, but always be mindful of who is influencing whom. Delight in the saints. Enjoy your friends who are followers of Christ. Enjoy your friends who are not followers of Christ. But be mindful. Be constantly aware of who is influencing 
whom. Look, Christian relationships, Christian community, we see this is a gift from God to us. Like this is something we need. This is the grace of God. These relationships where we stir one another up in the faith, where we build each other up, where we stir each other's affections. Like this is a gift from God and we need this now, maybe even more than ever. And we know there's all kinds of challenges in, in gathering right now. We're not able to gather corporately as a church family. There's, there's restrictions on size limitations. Um, it's difficult. So we have to be creative to be uh, connected to one another, whether that's Zoom and technology or whether that's in small groups or going to a park or someone's backyard or front porch, whatever it is, we need the people of God. Um, It is a gift to us from God. And I know for us, um, as we've been preparing this week, this just transition announcement, I've been reflecting about so many of you. And I feel this way about you. I delight in the relationship. You have been a gift to us, to our family. Um, I, I literally, when I, when I think back to some of you, I just, I, when I'm with you, you inspire me so much. When I'm with you, I'm literally thinking sometimes I want to be more like them. Like this person loves the Lord so much, it makes me want to be a stronger follower of Christ. Some of you, you're so loving, you're so encouraging, you're so um, just uh, generous. Some of you are so open-handed with the resources that God has given you, and it's such an inspiration to me. Your relationship with me is a gift, and I delight in that. Um, and so I ask you, do you have a genuine love for God's people? Do you love their company? Or like David talks about in verse 4, are you okay with evil? Are you maybe at ease among open sin? Um, are you playing around or flirting with, with relationships that will bring you harm? Listen, we love, the, we love the lost, but we'll never be satisfied with the evil of this world. And so in, in the daily life, the grind of life, we need each other. The light in the saints, make that a priority in your life. Third point for satisfaction that we see in the Lord is this. Guard your heart with contentment. So important. Guard your heart with contentment. Look at verse five and six. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And so notice that David, he's just finished explaining the worthless pursuits of idols, of false gods, false refuges. And now he moves on to fulfillment. He says that these false gods, that they don't work, that they multiply sorrows. And so he says, I'm going to show you fulfillment, that the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. And then he begins to dwell upon the beautiful inheritance that we have in God. Now stop and think about this for a moment. Here is King David, and he's reminding himself, he's preaching to himself about the beautiful inheritance that we have of God. Like this is really profound because again, this is King David who has everything that this world could possibly afford literally at his fingertips. And yet he is showing that he is just like us where apparently he's tempted to look around at what other people have and look around at the inheritance of others and begin to grow discontent. Like this should be a lesson to all of us who think that contentment is just around the corner in the next phase of life, right? Like as soon as I graduate school, then I'll be content. As soon as I get married, then I'll be content. I'll be happier. As soon as I have kids, then I'll be content. As soon as I start my career, as soon as I get the promotion, as soon as I retire and it never stops. But take it from David who had everything that this world could possibly get and he was still tempted to look at what others had that one of the fastest ways to discontentment in this daily life is to begin to look around to what others have 
and comparing ourselves. And I know this about myself. There's times where I begin to grow discontent and it's such a red flag to me that my eyes are not on Christ. And my wife has the gift of calling that out in me. She'll say, hey, your eyes are not on Jesus. You're not abiding. Um, Get your eyes focused back on him, on that beautiful inheritance. Because discontentment is, it's a pathway to destruction. And so how do we fight for contentment in our, our daily life? Um, it's not by lying to ourselves and saying that these things don't matter. Like, no, I don't want that car. That car would actually be bad. It's a piece of junk. No, listen, I want that Porsche. I do. I want it. But it's not going to bring me contentment. What brings me contentment is that I have to dwell upon the beautiful inheritance that I have in God. Literally an inheritance that cannot be improved on. And this is where life we find life. This is where we find vitality. This is where we find joy, just dwelling upon that God is our provision. He's our daily bread, that our, our life is in his hands. And this reminds me of Piper's famous quote where he says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And this is what David is saying. Oh God, you are my chosen portion. You are my cup. You are the one that I want to drink from in this life. You hold my lot, meaning you set the boundaries. He says, you set the lines of my life. Look, they may not be the lines that I would have chosen for my life, but I trust in you. I rest in you that they are the most pleasant lines that I need. So in this life, we are constantly tempted to compare ourselves to others. And that is the path to discontentment. But notice that these verses five and six are just dripping with contentment. And that is because the child of God should be distinctly content. It should mark us. It should mark us. And I'm reminded of another Psalm that David writes, Psalm 23, where he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Because I see the Lord for who he is, everything else takes care of itself. Look, our world is massively marked with discontentment and unfulfillment. As a pastor, one of the hardest things is how many people and, and families we sit with whose who, who spouses are wanting to throw in the towel in their marriage and they say, I'm just not fulfilled anymore. I'm, I'm ready to move on. I, you know, I, want, I want something younger. I, I want something that will, that will meet my needs. And the problem is, We think that that's just a horizontal problem with another person, but the reality is that's a vertical problem. Like that's messed up theology. It's a vertical problem because our dependence on the Lord and our satisfaction in him alone, it impacts every relationship in our life, especially the most important relationship that we have, the one that we are married to, the one that we are in covenant with. And so when we give our heart to the Lord, when we call upon him, when we see him as our chosen portion, as our cup, then that cup begins to overflow and there's transformation in our heart and every impact or every uh, relationship is impacted. As we pursue the vertical, every relationship is impacted. See, behind the discontentment is a rampant, sinful selfishness, and it won't work because it's anti-Bible, it's anti-Christ, and it will not satisfy. Listen to this poem written by a 14-year-old boy. This is a very wise 14-year-old boy. He says, it was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and respect 
I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over. I never got what I wanted. That is so true. That's so a picture of our world, just this massive discontentment. Look, for the child of God, we are to be distinctly content because we have Jesus. Because we have Jesus. And that's why Paul can write in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, from a jail cell, he can say, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul can say that because he saw Jesus as his treasure. It's the parable of the hidden treasure that literally he sees Jesus as his treasure, this greatest worth that he could ever imagine. And so therefore he sees everything in life for what it truly is. That is less than the treasure. Paul would even go further and say it's as dung because discontentment is a path to destruction. Church, guard your heart with contentment. It's the key to satisfaction. It's where life is to be lived. Our fourth point of satisfaction that we see is set the Lord always before you. Look at verse seven and eight. It says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I love this. In the midst of just the daily grind of life, things are gonna come at us. They're gonna try to shake us. I don't have to tell you of that. We can all testify but notice the theological sequence here. The counsel of the Lord, the truth of the Lord instructs the heart of David. So the mind instructs the heart. And that causes David then to set the Lord always before him. And the result of that is that David will not be shaken. So church, this is why the Bibles must be open in our lives. The Bible must be open in our homes. The Bible must be open in us parenting and guiding our children, there's a lot of false voices out there. We need to close the computers. We need to close social media. We need to close the blogs and the articles and come back to the sufficiency of scripture to be devoted to the truth that this is our final authority. Yes, there are good resources out there, good books that, that really help. But at the end of the day, our final authority is the word of God. And when we are devoted to truth, that is us setting the Lord always before us. And when we do that, we will not be shaken. When we set the Lord before us, that is us seeing the Lord. And when we see the Lord, it causes us to know who we are. It causes us to know why we're here and where we're going. And when that happens, it leads to satisfaction. And so we've been talking about uh, renewal here at the Parks Church, the journey of renewal. We've been talking about healthy habits, healthy patterns. I want to encourage you to build a rhythm of always setting the Lord before you. Be devoted to his truth. This is the final authority. And when we do that, it is setting the Lord before us. And when we do that, the result of that is that we will not be shaken. This is a dark, dark world. I don't have to tell you that, a dark world. How do we navigate a dark world? Another Psalm, Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Be devoted to the truth of the word of God, setting the Lord always before you. When the storms of life come, and we're told all throughout scripture that they will come. Jesus says, in this world, trouble will come. Peter says, uh, don't be surprised when fiery trials come your way. We're told all throughout scripture, storms of this life are gonna come. But when we set the Lord before us, yes, these storms might come and they might smash up against us and they might move us around a bit. We will not be shaken to the core. That is a promise of the word of God. The last point is this we see in Psalm 16, satisfaction. Rejoice in the hope to come, verses 9 through 11. 
Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So notice verse nine starts with therefore. And we always say when there's a therefore, we have to know why it is therefore. And so we go back to uh, the end of verse eight where David says, I will not be shaken. And so we can literally read this, that therefore, because I won't be shaken, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. So David is rejoicing in the hope that is to come. Notice verse 11, uh, there's three Ps, path, presence, and pleasure. That's a preacher's dream right there. Uh, You get on God's path, you know his presence, and there's no greater pleasure. This is where life is lived, right? The path of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been talking about, we wanna be whole life disciples, being transformed by the ways of Jesus or the path of Jesus. So the path of the Lord Jesus Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the pleasure of God the Father calling us his child. Notice also in this verse, it says, you make known to me in your presence and at your right hand. All these things are found in one person, God Almighty. He is the source of satisfaction. Psalm 16 is a psalm of confidence. And if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he is your confidence that that though you sin, your sin is paid for. That's the gospel. That, That though you die, um, he is risen. And so therefore you, you will be raised up. Like that's the future hope. That's the hope of the gospel, the good news. And so David is looking forward to the hope of Christ because of God. And he's saying, I can rejoice now in the midst of daily life, the grind of life because of that hope that is coming. See, David's life is profoundly impacted by the life that is to come. What about our life? Is our life profoundly impacted by the life that is to come? How about how we handle our money, how we handle our time, how we raise our kids, how we talk, how we treat others? Is it profoundly impacted by the life that is to come? Look, in the midst of the daily grind, have you put your confidence in Christ? This is a psalm of confidence, and our confidence is in Christ alone. And so this morning, we're going to end by singing that song, In Christ alone. We want to sing that. We want to get those truths deep inside of us. And we can sing this song because of the gospel. Here's, here's some of the words to this song. No guilt in life, no fear in death. That has, we can't do that because of the world. We do that because of the gospel. No fear in life, or no, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. We do that because of the good news of Jesus, the finished work at the cross. And so church, this morning, we are going to sing. We are going to proclaim our confidence is in Christ alone. Before we do that, I just want to ask you, what idol, what false refuge do you need to confront this morning? Do you need to stare down? Do you need to say, you cannot satisfy me like the Lord Jesus Christ? And I pray that we would repent, that we would put those things in in the proper place, and we would look to Christ alone for satisfaction. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to sing about Christ alone. Our satisfaction is in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, um, that you would just search our hearts. Show us areas in our life that are not aligned to who you are, to who we, you say we are. Um, God, I pray that we would be a people who would be fully dependent on you, a people who, who find satisfaction in you alone. That's, that's the only place that true satisfaction is found. This world is not possible 
Our satisfaction is in you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just show us areas in our life, these, these idols, these false gods, these false refuges that we have given our affection to. Now we sing, we proclaim the truths of who you are. In your name we pray, amen. Church, we love you so much. Let's sing.